Years ago, my wife and I took our kids to a restaurant. The food wasn't that great, but the real novelty of this place was that they had a balloon twister that walked around table to table, uh, kind of for all the kids. And so uh, basically what would happen is he'd walk to your table, you would pull your wallet out, empty all the contents out on the table, and he would take all that contents, and then he would make you a balloon uh, animal, a, a hat or a boat or a dog or something like that, and your kid would love it. And he would take something that's worth about three cents and make it worth about five or ten bucks to him. And so, um, so that was kind of the real novelty. But the thing about that, if you ever watch someone make a balloon animal, they pull that balloon out of the bag or whatever they have, and, and they don't just start blowing it up. Instead, they begin to stretch it out, you know, from kind of from end to end, and they make that balloon ready to receive the air they're getting ready to put into it. And so uh, this guy did that. He stretched it out, and then he would blow it up, and he'd make a dog or whatever he was going to make for your kid. Now, in the same way, we're in this season right now where, um, where we're in kind of a stretching season. It's kind of a, a new normal we're, we're hearing about a lot right now. People are talking about how when we come back from this season of quarantine that we're going to live differently. We're going to wash our hands differently. We're going to uh, take precautions we never took before. And as we do that, um, we're talking about the idea of, of, of everything around us being kind of new. So in this season right now, when we're being stretched, maybe God is stretching our lives like that balloon where he's, he's stretching us and he's making us ready to step into a new place, a new normal in life. And maybe it's going to be a new level of faith or a, a deeper level of dependence on God. Maybe it's going to be just a more fruitful life. But whatever it is, I believe God is calling us as a church, calling us as believers to a new normal. Today we're going to start a brand new series and we're simply calling it that, A New Normal. And we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5. And Matthew 5 is a part of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. It's the longest recorded sermon of Jesus and it's power-packed. In fact, if you look at the bottom of your Bible, you might see a little Surgeon General's warning at the bottom because this portion of Scripture is so powerful. It is meant to impact your heart. It's, it's convicting. It's practical. Uh, it's heart-transforming. At the end of this sermon in Matthew chapter 7, it's in verse 28. This is what it says. It says, when Jesus had finished saying all these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. Now that word amazed in that passage, uh, it's kind of a weak word in the English, right? Like we say everything is amazing. Like when we had our first child and I watched that our baby uh, Judah be born. That was amazing. But last night's dinner was also amazing. And then uh, if I get a first, the first parking spot at Walmart, that is amazing. And so that word is a bit of a weak word because everything right now can be amazing. But the word that Matthew uses here in the Greek, it, it can really be translated to be out of mind, to be out of mind. And what he's saying is these people's minds were being blown by what Jesus was saying in this sermon. Now these people, they, they knew the Torah, which is kind of our Old Testament. It was the Hebrew teachings. It, it was the law and the prophets. They understood the Torah. But Jesus is, is coming on this scene now and he's putting his words really parallel with the Torah. He says, this is what you've heard, it, how you've heard it said before in the law. But then he says, but this is what I say. So he's saying, these are the law, the, the words that you know from the Torah, and this is what I'm saying. And they're even, and these people's minds are being blown. This is a new normal that they're experiencing. 
Now, my, my hope over the next few weeks is that the same will be true for us, that we'll come to a new awakening in our hearts, you know, that, that, we'll, that we'll come to a new normal that God is calling us to as believers in Christ. Now, you may be here today, and uh, maybe you're watching this for the first time. Maybe you've been watching for a few weeks now, and, and, and maybe you're enjoying, and you're really kind of curious about what it means to follow Christ. But possibly in the past, though, you've you kind of stayed away from the church. You've never really done the church thing because maybe at some point you were hurt by somebody in the church. Someone that claimed to be a Christian, claimed to follow Christ. Uh, they talked about praying and worshiping and being in church and all those things that maybe they really wounded you in a way through something they said or something they did. And now you've kind of just backed off the church thing and you're like, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to go be around all those hypocrites. Uh, but I'll watch online and maybe I'll learn and grow by doing this. I just want to encourage you a, a little bit. As a, as a person that's been following Christ for 25 plus years now, can I just tell you that when I read these words that I'm going to read in a few minutes out of Matthew chapter 5, um, I'm convicted by what I read. That as a pastor that's been pastoring for over 20 years, right? That when I talk about what Christ says in these words, it is convicting for me. And it's, it's a standard that, that I'm still like, man, I've got a long way to go. And let me just like, just remind you that we're all growing, that every Christian that claims to, to know and follow Jesus, man, they've got all kinds of issues, just like me, just like probably you do too. And, um, and they're trying to grow. And you know, not all of them are. And certainly there are some people that are just plain old hypocrites. But can I just encourage you today that, that we're all trying to grow. And so as a man trying to grow in his relationship with Christ, let me just tell you that these words for me are convicting. I hope they will be to you too. And I want to encourage you, if you've been put off by people that claim to know Jesus, maybe they did, but maybe they were just really like me, just needing to grow. And so I would just ask you, man, can you just give us a little bit of grace at the same time? Like we, we want you to be part of, of who we are and, and we know that Jesus loves you and, um, and he also loves this church and the church as a whole, uh, despite all of our imperfections. And so I'm going to pray and then we're going to jump into Matthew 5. Let's do it. God, we thank you so much uh, for this passage of scripture. Lord, thank you for the recording of this amazing sermon. And I do pray, God, that as we spend the next few minutes together, God, I ask that you will help us to be transformed by what we read and what we hear. God, we want to hear your words. And so I pray that as we read through the, the words that Jesus is saying here, God, would you illuminate to us what you want us to learn, what you want us to take away, so that we will be changed uh, today and forever. And we thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Matthew chapter 5. Uh, we're going to start in verse 17. This is where we're going to begin today. It says this. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So I want to stop right there. So what's he saying in that statement? Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. Now he's speaking again of the Hebrew Old Testament, the, uh, the Torah, that they have been learning and, and been training in their whole lives. And so um, the law basically represented what happened at Mount Sinai. If you know that story, the Ten Commandments, you might have seen in the old movie. Um, Basically what happens is the people come out of the land of Egypt. They've been in slavery in Egypt. They come out and then God takes them to this mountain called Mount Sinai. And on that place, he gives them the Ten Commandments. Now God's also going to give them about 603 more commandments. So 613 commands that God is going to ask them to follow. Now what happens in the years following that is that uh, the people fail. 
right? Like just like you and I have, they, they blow it. They, they still lie. They still cheat. They still murder. They commit adultery. They do all these things. And for hundreds of years, uh, they just fail miserably at following the law that God has given them. And then what happens is the prophets now come on the scene and the prophets are going are to begin to call the people uh, back to a purity of serving and loving God. Now in their, in their prophecies, in the books that they end up writing, uh, they're going to lament what's happened in the nation. They're going to they're grieve over the disobedience of God's people to his law. But they're also going to point forward to a new day that God is going to bring. Several of them will talk about this new day. There's a passage in Jeremiah that I want to read right now. Jeremiah chapter 31. And we're going to start at verse 31. This is what it says. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their, in their minds and I will write it in their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. So what is God saying here? He's saying that the law that, com that comes later is going to not be written on stone tablets. It's going to be written in the hearts of people. It's going to change them, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. And in Matthew 5, Jesus says, this is that day. God is writing his law on your hearts. He's doing a deeper work than just the outside command. He's going to address six specific commands over the next few verses. These are things that they would have followed on a surface level, laws they would have, have, have adhered to. But Jesus is going to take them much, much deeper to a heart level. And today we're going to look at the first of those six. It's going to be found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 is where we're going to start. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Listen to this. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. I want to stop there. What he's doing is he's taking the sixth command they have heard, right? The thou shalt not, right? Thou shalt not murder the sixth of those ten commandments. And he's taking it to a deeper level, a new normal. That anger is not just something that leads to murder, but he's saying that anger is equal to murder. Anger is equal to murder. So I want to give you two questions today that we're going to answer, right? Two questions. First of all, is all anger bad? Is all anger, let's say, sinful? Okay, let's put it in kind of, kind of biblical terms, right? Is all anger sinful? And the answer to that in a biblical sense is no. Anger at times can be a good thing. In fact, the Bible says that anger at times can even be a God thing. Uh, Jesus was said to be angry several times. In Hebrews 4 verse 15, it says that, that he was tempted in all ways like we are, but he did not sin. So we know that Jesus, who was angry at times, did not sin. In Exodus chapter 34, when Moses says to God, show me your glory. When God does, he says this, he says, I am the Lord, slow to anger. So he describes himself, even kind of puts it almost like as his name. He's saying, I am the Lord, slow to anger. So the biblical idea of what is right anger is not no anger, but it's slow anger. 
Ephesians 4.26 says, be angry and sin not. Be angry and don't sin. So how can we say that, that God would say it's okay to have some anger? And you might even think, you know, like I don't want to serve a God who's a God of anger. I want to serve the God who's a God of love. But the Bible would tell us, though, that if you don't have anger, you don't even have love. You can't have one without the other. Pure anger, in its purest form, anger is love and action toward a threat against those or something that you love. If you love something or someone, you will be angry when that thing or that person is threatened in any way. Anger is what causes us to want to go and rescue victims in the sex trade. That's what causes it. We're driven to anger. It's not only compassion, but in compassion, we are angry for those who are being victimized in this way. The same can be said of our, of our desire to, to bring people to a knowledge of Christ. When we look at our nation and look at our community and look at our neighborhoods, we're driven to prayer and to evangelism. We say, no, we will not let the enemy take our friends and our family and our neighbors down to hell without a fight. We will go and seek and save those who are lost. It is a righteous kind of anger that drives us to action. So not all anger is wrong. Some anger is even godly. But when we think about anger in our lives, most of us are thinking about a kind of anger that is just not righteous, right? It's, it's the kind of anger that is selfish, self-seeking. It's, it's, it's based on our own pride. We lash out because of our ego or our ambition. It's the conflicts you might have with your spouse or, or with your kids or a coworker or a boss. It's those moments of rage or anger that are often destructive and, and almost always are sinful. They're not righteous types of anger. They're, they're sinful types of anger. So the second question today is this. How do we deal with sinful anger. When we blow it, when we have a, maybe, maybe you have a, a pretty strong bend toward this type of anger that is just wrong and, and it gets you in a lot of trouble. Maybe it has your whole life. Maybe you're, you know, 60 years old now and your whole life you've gotten in a lot of trouble because of the anger in your heart. Now I wish that I could say as a pastor, hey, you just need to pray a prayer and ask God to change your heart and take out the anger. But that is not what Jesus does in chapter 5 here in Matthew. Now I want to just give you a warning. I want to just apologize to you for what's getting ready to be said because Jesus is going to come like, he's going to drive up in your, in your neighborhood. He's going to come into your driveway and step into your living room right now and get all up in your business, okay? He's going to be really direct. And I, I'm telling you, as a person that reads it, I'm like, man, this is pretty personal. And listen to what he says in Matthew 5, uh, verse 23. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. So he's talking here about the worship of the Jewish people. He's talking about the sacrificial system. So I want to put it today in our own terms, okay, in our own worship terms. And what he's saying is basically this. If you're watching the live stream from MCC on a Sunday morning, and maybe you're singing that song we sang earlier, uh, This is Amazing Grace. And maybe your hands were up, not a little, but a lot. And you were like lifting your hands and worshiping. What God says here is, at that moment, if you remember that somebody has something against you, that out of anger maybe you offended somebody, it says at that moment, you should put your hands down, stop singing, pause the stream, pick up your phone, 
and call that person, or maybe it's someone in the next room, go to that person and ask them humbly to forgive you. Be the first one to say that you're sorry before you come back and begin to worship. So what's he saying? If you want to be transformed, do something that will destroy selfish anger in your life. Take a humble action. It's about the inside being transformed so that the outside shows what's happened on the inside. He did not come to make us just nicer people. Jesus came to make us new. He came to make us new people. New is normal Christianity. Transformation of the heart and of the mind and of destiny. This is consistent with all biblical teaching. God has called us to be a new creation. If you go back into the book of Proverbs, chapter 15, it says that a gentle answer turns away wrath. And a few chapters later in chapter 25, it says, If your enemy is hungry, then give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. And what it's saying is even those who you would say, that is my enemy, he's saying respond, not in anger, not in wrath, not out of hatred, but respond out of love. This is bigger than just having self-control, right? It's, it's, it's about responding for the other person's well-being, even when what they deserve is, is maybe your wrath. Maybe it's out of justice, you would say what they deserve is punishment. It's saying respond with the opposite. Give them love when they deserve your anger. This is the opposite of everything we knew before we found Christ, right? Before you found Christ, it was if, if someone hated you, you hated them right back. If someone gossiped about you, you would gossip about them. If someone hit you, you hit them back. It was blow for blow and it was wound for wound. But Jesus says, I have a new normal for your life. You know, if you have kids, we have four kids in our house and next year we will have four teenagers in the whole house. And uh, that's a crazy idea. But if you've ever raised a teenager, you might have had this kind of circumstance. Like, you know, as a parent, even if you're a mediocre parent, like, you know that you sacrifice so much so that your kids can have a decent life. You know that you work extra hours and you stay up late at night to, and you take them to soccer and to school and all these things. You know how much you give up for your kid. But if you have a teenage kid, there may come a point where you cross their will at some point, right? Where you say no to something they want you to say yes to. Where you don't give them that thing they want you to give them. And in that moment, they may lash out at you in anger and they may some, say something like this. You don't love me. In fact, they might even say, you hate me. They may say, you never do anything for me. And when they say something like that, it is going to cut you deep. It's going to cut deep because you know as a parent it is so unjust. You know that you've given and given and given to this person and for them to say to you, you don't even care about me. You never do anything for me. In that moment as a parent, and you might have been here, but you really have a few options. First, you can withdraw and say, well, forget you then. I'm going to leave you to your own devices. Do what you want to do. I'm out. You do you. I'm going to do me. I'm gone. And you just pull away from them. But in that case, nobody wins, right? Not you, not your kid. You can respond with the same thing they're giving to you. You can respond with, hate, with hatred for their hatred. You can say, I hate you too. Uh, you never do anything for me. But in this case, still, nobody wins. So what do you do? You come with them, and what you do instead of pulling back, you come close. You pull in close to them. And you target not the person, but you target the problem. 
You absorb their blows, right? Not physically, but you absorb their anger and, and their frustration, their even hatred, and you stay true to what you know is the truth. You insist, this is how we're going to handle this. This is what we're going to do. I'm not talking about physical uh, you know, abuse or anything like that. But when they give you hatred, you're not going to respond with hatred. You're going to respond with love. In spite of their anger, in spite of their frustration, this is the only way that everybody in the equation can walk away a winner. And this is what God did for us. This is what God did for us. He absorbed our anger. When we were mad at God, we were, we were hateful toward God. He wasn't giving us our way. He was saying, you need to live differently. And we hated him for it. In fact, the moment he came close to us, we took him and we nailed him to a Roman cross. The moment that he was vulnerable, we took him and we killed God. But even on the cross, even when he was giving his life for us, he was absorbing our rage and our anger. He was taking what we deserved on that cross. And in that moment, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Righteously, he was angry about our sin, but he responded with love to us as sinners, even to the point of dying on the cross to display the love that he had for us. On that note, today we're going to take communion. I'm going to invite my wife, Andrea. She's here in the room with me right now. I'm going to invite her to come up and, uh, and, and be a part of this with me. So I'm going to move this around a little bit. Pull our elements in here. So you may be in your room right now. I want, you to, I want to encourage you to grab your family. If you aren't there now, grab your kids and your spouse and whoever else is in your house. And we're all going to do this together. Before we do, though, I want to ask you something. Maybe there's somebody in the room with you today. Maybe there's somebody you need to apologize to and kind of humbly go to them before they come to you and just say, hey, I'm sorry for the way I treated you. And it could be something you did in anger or frustration. We're all in close proximity now. And so those moments can happen, right, in any home. And maybe something totally different, but you know that right now, before you offer this gift, so to speak, right, before you bring your sacrifice, your worship, you know that God would say, lay it down, pause the stream right now, Go take care of business. Go reconcile yourself to that person. Go say what is needed in this moment. So I'm just going to encourage you, before we go into this moment, you might just pause me right now and, uh, and take care of that business in your home. Now, once you've done that, we're going we're gonna to jump into this moment of communion because we're going to really take a moment to thank Jesus for what he did, that, that when he should have been angry with us, when he should have even just hated us for all that we did to him, he was on the cross hanging and saying, Father, forgive them. What an amazing God that we serve. What an amazing God that would, that, would, that would show his love to us sinners in that way. When we deserved wrath, he gave us mercy. And so I'm going to hand out my little pieces of bread. Today I have the official little you know, MCC bread pieces here. So I'm going to hand those to us. And um, I'm going to ask Andrea just to pray a, a prayer of thanksgiving for the body of Jesus this represents, the body that was broken for you and I so that we could be made whole through his sacrifice. And so, are we cool with that? Sure. All right, go ahead and pray. <laughs> Lord, we just thank you for your body that you sacrificed for us, that you made a choice to um, suffer all the physical blows and um, suffering for us that we may be free. Lord, we just thank you for your body and what you did for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's take the bread or whatever you have at home. All right, I'm going to hand out the cups. You may have 
uh, you know, styrofoam cups or uh, whatever you have at home. It may have juice, it may have water, um, but whatever you have, let's take those in our hand. I'm going to pray over the cup and thank Jesus for the blood uh, that he shed for us. This, this represents. Well, Lord, we thank you uh, for the blood of Jesus. We thank you that while we were far from God, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us because of the love that he had for us. And so I pray today, God, that, um, that as we receive your forgiveness, God, that today we will just thank you and really be thankful for what you've accomplished for us on the cross. We thank you for the blood that covers every sin, that covers every act of rage or anger in our lives, and that covers every other sin that we've ever committed. And we just give you all the thanks and praise and glory for it, God. Thank you, Jesus. Let's take the cup. Well, I want to thank you again uh, for joining us today. It's been great having you here. We're praying that wherever you're at, whether you're in your kitchen or on your couch or wherever you find yourself today, uh, our hope is that you've really experienced God's presence and also this will help you live out the purpose of God for your life. Come back next week, 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. Wednesday night this week, we're going to have a 7 o'clock uh, prayer meeting, so join us for that on Facebook. Otherwise, have an awesome day, and we'll see you guys sometime soon.